Welcome to the Bourbon and Browns podcast, where the size of the fish doesn't matter, but the amount of bourbon left in your flask does. Join us as we talk life, fishing, and everything in between with your hosts, Justin and Bryce. All right, what's going on, everybody? Another episode here, Bourbon and Browns. So this is episode 11. So uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, it's nice and drizzly out here in Louisiana. So I don't know if you guys have ever been to the lovely state of Louisiana. They claim it's a sportsman's paradise. That's what it says on the license plate. However, I think it's the poorer version of Washington State. Uh, it rains just as much, but not nearly as nice. So if you ever get a chance, you can be you can be the judge. Uh, but please message me and let me know what you think. So <clears throat> with that, we're going to actually talk to Justin, which I've been eagerly awaiting uh, his, his trip uh, to fish for some some giant fish out in New York, which uh, from what I've heard was a good time. And then uh, we will introduce our guests for this week. Uh, prior to the actual interview and uh, get you guys some good content there. So, Justin, my man, tell me about, well, first on, what's going on? And secondly, tell me about your trip uh, to New York. Hey, what's going on, man? Uh, yeah, so um, we purposely uh, didn't really talk much about the salmon trip um, just because we wanted to kind of keep it fresh here. And um, we, we put off the uh, the podcast for a little bit just so I could uh, kind of wrap my head around um, you know, my experience up there and, uh, uh, some things that I could share with you, um, that I, may, I maybe had a little bit more time to think about and refine my thoughts rather than getting it right off the bat where, uh, I was still like keyed up and, you know, still sl- slinging some salmon into the freezer, you know? So, um, hopefully, uh, hopefully this comes across, you know, coherently, um, and not, you know, just like a, a verbal vomit. Um, so yeah, so we'll start with my setup. So, um, I, like I was saying, you know, we kind of talked about what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago now. Um, I've never salmon fished before. Um, uh, never really, um, fished for any larger game species. Um, so that was new and, uh, we discussed taking my five weight up there and, you know, basically Bryce was, you know, fuck no, that's a stupid idea. You're going to break your shit. Uh, and you're not gonna be able to to play the fish the way that you need to. Um, and everybody else I talked to pretty much said the same thing. So, um, I ended up buying an eight weight, um, just a little cheap, uh, Fenwick, which was a fantastic rod. I'm not trying to, to shit on that brand. Um, it was awesome. and I, I love it. Um, but it is pretty affordable, which is awesome. I got a Lampson guru, uh, eight weight reel, which is awesome. A little scientific angler, eight weight floating fly line, uh, weight forward exactly what I needed. I didn't go with a sink tip or anything like that. Um, so basically my setup going into it, um, having no idea what the river was like, no idea what to expect. Um, I just went with a, um, a two X tapered leader. Um, I figured that was all I was going to need. And then I put a, uh, a little tippet ring on the end, which ended up being a horrible, horrible idea. Uh, <laughs> didn't work out very well for me, but I gave it the old college try. Um, and then 
my plan was to just put 2x you know just about a foot or two of 2x tippet on the end of that some fluoro and uh run my my single fly off of that which ended up being um essentially what we had talked about before and i'm sure we'll uh we'll put out a uh a little graphic of that but it was just a little like you know trout bead uh rubber egg whatever you have on hand slid up the uh the line you know pinch it off or um, put a little piece of tubing in there to hold it um, about three or four inches above your hook tie your hook on and then when the fish you know takes it in their mouth you you set the hook and um if all goes well the egg just kind of slips down and you know you get a good hook set right in the corner of the mouth and that really worked out well um but we'll get to uh basically what it was like on the river so um we rolled up to a campground up in pulaski new york um basically got into the campground around 11 30 12 at night um on wednesday night went to bed didn't really think much about it didn't rig anything up um just went to bed and uh, hunkered down in the rain and then i uh, woke up um pretty early about 5 36 o'clock on uh thursday morning and um i geared up rigged up got all my shit on and um basically what i went with was just like one of those simple um real tiny orange trout beads with that uh you know about four inches above that hook rolled down to the river and it was absolutely fucking pandemonium um there must have been about 150 dudes out there on this like little section of river um and i was like immediately i was like fuck this sucks like this is gonna be absolutely miserable i'm gonna hate every second of this and um I tell you what, man, you see that first salmon that's about 25 pounds freaking running up a fucking riffle, six inches of water and just gunning it. I mean, it just, it, it's amazing. And you completely forget about everything else that's around you. You're just watching these fish. Um, you're watching them tail. You're watching them try and dig out their reds and you're just watching them be aggressive as fuck, um, <laughs> which is amazing. Uh, there's eggs all over the place. There's, you know, there, there's sperm everywhere. <laughs> it's wild. I mean, it's an absolutely insane experience. Um, there's just fish everywhere. Um, I, I, I don't know if I could really do it justice trying to explain it. Um, and even pictures are hard to capture what it's like watching thousands of these fish, huge fish running up this little, little river little shallow river and just like i mean spawning and doing what they need to do to survive or you know not su survive themselves but the species to survive um it was fantastic but uh essentially you know we saw a couple fish um you know running basically where we you know wherever we went we just decided to cross the river and uh i mean people are catching fish left and right and we finally found a little spot where the four of us could kind of spread out maybe about three or four yards apart from each other and, um, get some, uh, get some casts in. And, uh, I was lucky enough to hook up within the first, I'd say 10, 15 minutes just by roll casting. Um, I had a, uh, an indicator on, um, so I was just roll casting and, um, kind of just, you know, watching the indicator, making sure my drifts were good. And, um, yeah, like I said, like first 10, 15 minutes I hooked up um, and it was, I mean, the most aggressive fight I've ever had in a fly rod. 
Um, and I got completely, completely punked on by this fish. I mean, just shredded my shit. Um, you know, there goes my indicator floating down the stream and had to have some guy, you know, scoop it up with his net, <laughs> which I don't know why he had the net out there because there's no way in hell you're net one of those things. Um, not with a, uh, a normal net anyway. Um, but once I figured that out and I, I decided to get rid of my, uh, my tippet ring, uh, everything was pretty much good to go. Um, just did a, a, a double surgeons, cut back my, my two X leader pretty much down to, to odd X. Um, so the leader was down to about, I'd say six, seven foot, maybe a little bit less. Um, just tied on my rig, some split shot, um, and just started pretty much check nymphing um, off of the split shot. Now, one of the things you can't do up there was you can't run split shot below your fly. So um, it was essentially like I, I just tied a, um, a double surgeons and cut both tags, um, put the split shot above that, and then you know just ran my single fly off of that or my, my hook and trout bead off of that. Um, and once I figured that out, you know, I, I was able to, to hook into a lot of fish. And um, one of the things that really surprised me was um, the way that they fight. So they, they make a lot of runs upstream, but they make even more runs downstream, uh, which makes it very difficult to fight them because they're just running with the current. Um, so they're running back downstream with the current. Um, they peel off line like crazy. And... Um, not only are you dealing with the fish itself, but you're also dealing with the fishermen. Um, so I got my, my line tangled around other fishermen uh, plenty of times, um, which, you know, it sucks, but it is what it is. It's what you're dealing with up there with, you know, a run that's the best salmon run in 20-some-odd years. Um, a lot of people are up there. So um, you just kind of deal with it. You learn how to fight them. Um, unfortunately, one of the... Uh, you know, one of the things that you pretty much have to do, especially with the fly rod, the a smaller fly rod and lighter tippet, is you basically have to beach them. Um, you have to fight them pretty much to exhaustion or get lucky and hope that you can get it into a shallower area with someone waiting that they can just kind of, you know, grab the tail and hold on for dear life because they, they really do buck like crazy. Um, and that's basically what you're looking to do when you're fighting them. Um, you're just maintaining pressure and hoping that you can control the run enough to get them into some softer water where they calm down. Um, and that's basically how we fished for three days. Um, is essentially you just pick a, pick a spot and instead of moving to the fish, like you would for trout, um, you're waiting for the fish to move to you. So you'll get you'll get one or two females that you'll see running up because I mean the water, in, in most parts is you know between six inches and you know at the most two two and a half feet, um, and you'll see them starting to move up towards you, and you basically start casting um, and trying to time your cast where your your little egg pattern or whatever you're fishing is you know in front of them, uh, right when they're they're crossing it in a good drift and. Um, yeah, I mean, you're just waiting for those females to come up because you know there's going to be about eight or ten, you know, males right behind them um, waiting to spawn. Um, I had, 
probably two or three um, really aggressive takes, which were amazing, um, where they actually took the fly um, and attacked it. Uh, the rest, probably about, I'd say, 30, um, between 30 and 40 actual hookups. Um, yeah, I only landed like probably 10. Uh, it's it's tough. There's a reason they sell a sticker that says fish off up there <laughs> at one of the fly shops. But um, it's tough fishing. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I did get some aggressive takes. And, I mean, they really, uh, they just send you for a, for a ride, man. Uh, I mean, my eight weight was, I mean, the, the tip was down around my ankles at some point, you know, and it's, it's a wild, wild ride. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, th- there's, there's not much to the fishing itself. It's more the experience, um, you know, wa- watching firsthand, you know, basically the end of this group of salmon's life cycle um you're watching them you know make basically make their their final death run upstream burning all their energy just so they can lay you know thousands of eggs in one spot and freaking you know inseminate them cover them up with gravel and continue running until they die and that's what you're watching and i mean it's it's an amazing experience watching these, you know, thousands upon thousands of fish just run and run and run over and over and over again upstream past you. And you're just like, where are all these fish coming from? You know, and this is just one little river off of Lake Ontario. And there's thousands of these little rivers where these salmon run up constantly all of basically, you know, the end of September, all of October into November. Um, along with steelhead and some browns. Uh, we did catch a steelhead as a group. Um, my my buddy, Anthony, was the one who actually caught it, but um, we actually got to see it, which, which was wild. I mean, just a gorgeous fish. So anybody who's heading up to Pulaski or anywhere in New York now, um, last weekend and this coming weekend, you know, expect to, expect to at least see some, uh, some steelhead up there. Um, You'll see the flash, and there was some coho. Um, I was lucky enough to, you know, hook into a coho, and that son of a bitch took me for a ride. Literally, um, almost drowned me. Um, got hang, got hung up in a in some trees after it made a little run, and uh, went in between two down logs across this uh, this run that was it was ripping. Um, I mean that river rips, so don't you know it's it's basically a tailwater. I mean don't uh, you know. Don't take it too seriously when I say it's like this little like meandering little piece of shit creek because it's not. But uh, there was a section where it was about four foot deep and this coho, I mean, just a, a slab of a coho made a run uh, across river from me and I'm, I'm fighting it, trying to keep it away from these down logs and I knew I was losing that battle. So uh, she got in between the logs and, you know, my line stayed tight and I felt the bounce still. Um but she basically just wrapped me around this log and, and stayed there. Um, so I kept it tight and uh, basically looked at my buddy and said, hold my beer. And I went out for it. Um, initially, I was going to try and tail her. So I was going to try and just grab her tail um, and drag her ass back in uh, with me. But uh, I didn't realize it, you know, just how fast the water was moving. And 
just how um, apparently light I am in the water because before I knew it, my boots are lifting up off the water and I'm drifting downstream um, all the while trying to keep this line tight. Um, I ended up going to a little pool that was about six foot deep and uh, ended up swimming out or attempting to swim out and uh, grabbing roots and branches on the the far bank, trying to pull my ass back up towards the logs. And uh, I finally get in between the logs and realize that I'm surrounded by 30 pound salmon that are just about ready to to freak out (laughs) and, you know, just like basically lose their shit. So, um, I try not to move my legs as I'm between this log and I'm, I'm literally holding on to a branch just to just stay upright and stay in between the logs. And, um, I've got all of these salmon literally like running into me, um, bumping my legs and freaking me out a lot because their, their teeth are pretty big. Um, made me feel pretty uncomfortable and pretty small in the water. But, um, I eventually am able to stir up enough salmon and, dirt off the bottom to spook this fish and she makes a run back out into the water and basically shreds my shit um which wasn't a bad thing at that point i was like i don't really give a shit i just want to get out of here in one piece um but that spooked a bunch of the other salmon and i ended up taking a uh, 30 pound hog right to my leg which sent me back downstream again (laughs) um which was fun and then uh, I had to go back to the log to untangle my fly line. And, uh, yeah, eventually I uh, drug myself out on the far bank, cracked open a beer, and <laughs> called it a day. Um, I'm just kidding. I went back over and kept fishing. But um, Yeah, I was going to say, you don't, you, don't, you, don't, you don't ever stop fishing. Yeah, no. Um, Not for I, nothing. I stopped for about 15 minutes. And then... Uh, I ended up going back. Dude, that's incredible. Yeah, that, all that is incredible, really. Uh, it's nothing like I've ever experienced, and I know you've never experienced it either. Uh, so it's very interesting to hear, you know, because everybody talks about it, like, oh, you know, I fished the salmon run, but you don't really know what that's like till you go do it, and it's it's interesting to get your perspective on it because I'm sure a lot of people intend to, you know, make it to a run at some point. Uh, or have been and can relate. Uh, so it's, I know, I know like you do it, you do it full on, you know, like I just, everything you talked about, like, you know, God forbid you lose a fish, you know, I got to go in after <laughs> it. Like, can you imagine if you would have caught that fish? Like the story, I mean, the story's good as it is, but it would have elevated it even more, you know, but fish or not, it sounds like you had, uh, you know, a great experience. Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. I, th- I think, um, you know, one of the one of the you know the big takeaways, um, at least you know after reflecting on it for a while, um, was the just the, the the sheer magnitude and and grace of nature, um, and you know the, the salmonid family of fish. Um, it's amazing what they do, and uh, it's almost biblical, in a sense, um, with what they do and. Um, how they how they survive as a species you know like they're the species is more important to them than the individual you know and everything serves a purpose um and that was uh that was the big takeaway i mean it really was a 
to me anyway, is a spiritual, um, you know, journey, I guess, pilgrimage, um, something everybody should do. Um, I'm not religious at all, so it's kind of funny that I'm getting into this shit, but, um, <laughs> it, I mean, really like, no, you know, I mean, if, if fly fishing was my religion, um, then, you know, a trip to the Pulaski river or, uh, excuse me, the salmon river in Pulaski, New York was, you know, definitely a, uh, a journey that needed to be made. Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, everything from, you know, the equipment to tactics to, you know, combat fishing around, you know, hundreds of other people, probably thousands along yeah. the entire river, but, you know, specific stretch, you know, hundreds of people and just, just going out there with the, uh, with like, you know, low expectations and just like, Hey, you know, this is learning, you know, if I catch fish, great. If I don't, then I'll, alter, you know, I'll alter some sort of, you know, tactic that I'm, that I'm using and, and try to get on these fish. But I think what you're talking about, like the life cycle of a salmon is, is incredible. You know, I fished for them up in, uh, in Alaska, uh, for the King salmon. And you're exactly right. It's, you know, they're literally sacrificing, you know, life, uh, for the survival of the species, you know, like they, they exert themselves so much going all the way up to, to fertilize those eggs that they, that they, that they die, you know, um, they literally push themselves, they literally work themselves to death and, uh, yeah, I guess it's just, it's incredible really. Yeah. It's something you need to the see. Whole thing. Um, yeah, in yeah. person for sure. It's just until you see these, you know, thousands of fish just working their asses yeah. off and working themselves to death literally right in front of you, not giving a shit. And here's some asshole out there. Trying oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> trying to bring them over to course. shore, you know? Um, so you, you ended up with, um, some salmon. That you I took did. Home? Yeah. So I kept, I kept my limit okay. each day. Um, I kept yeah. three each day. Um, so I had nine total, uh, which is, I mean, a metric shit ton of meat. Um, you know, I've already, already given, you know, two two full bags away, so two full two full fish, um, to my parents to to smoke and, um, you know, I I, I want to yeah, just send me the tracking number when mine's oh, on its it. way. You know it. I'll make you some salmon jerky. Send it down to Louisiana. You better make me something. You know, send me some gator <laughs> jerky back. We'll call it even. Oh, don't get me started on that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I I think um, yeah, you know me, I'm I'm a very big catch and release fisherman, um. But I, I think justifying it, you know, the, these fish are. Oh, there's no justification. Yeah, needed. I mean, I'll, yeah. I'll I'll take fish when I can, you know, and when when I mm-hmm. I deem it um not necessary, but you know when I deem it sporting, you know, and while there's plenty of people that will say you know catch, catching salmon on a on a run on a spawning run probably isn't very sporting, um, it's you know. They're they're dying anyway, um, and it's like yeah, you could leave them. You know, essentially, you could leave them out in the river, or you know, leave them to float back into Lake Ontario and not fish for them at all. Well, there'll be th- there'll be thousands, right, just on the shore. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, there already are. Yeah, so you know, because oh, okay. I mean, there's for you know every for every one fisherman, there's probably you know a thousand salmon that are passing him on a you know, any, at any given time. I mean, it's, it's insane. That's unreal. It, it really is. It's unreal. I mean, it's just all day, all night, um, you know, for a month straight. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, there's, there's plenty of fish that make it up to the dam who just, you know, end up dying 
up there because they're you know literally working themselves to exhaustion you know so you hope you hope that you can catch one that's already you know she's already deposited her eggs uh, it's a female and you know if it's a male that they've already had a chance to you know fertilize some eggs and you know do that whole thing and um you know if if not it's really like you've already you ba- you've basically already tuckered them out so much that uh, especially if it was a real good fight and you've landed them that uh they they don't have a whole lot left anyway um so it's it's tough um uh, i did end up releasing a couple i think i released you know i hooked into i hooked into like or landed like 11 10 11 ish um so i released like two um i think just because it was a quicker fight and they were a smaller fish um they had some energy left i got lucky on those uh um when i when i landed them so i released them just because i figured they could uh they can keep running and you know if they had any leg eggs left which were you know slowly dripping out um you know she could deposit the rest of them and the male could uh you know fertilize them but yeah i kept i kept my my lemon each day um you know very very awesome uh fish to eat i've had some already and they're just amazing um hands down some of the best fish meat i've ever had in my life better than trout honestly oh yeah nothing better than fresh salmon so good um i made salmon burgers actually but nice yeah i never had that but very good sure it was delicious very good um that's pretty much it yeah i mean that's the that's the trip um you know i've got some other things i wanted to to kind of jot down and and put put into words because i think uh I'm better at at writing than I am at talking, so um, I'm sure I could, uh, you know, put some things down to put some pen to paper and, and figure that out for you guys. Yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, let, let's yeah, no let's doubt. jump into our uh, jump into our interview, there, Bryce. Yeah. So for this week, we are going to have on uh, a good buddy of mine. I've known him pretty much high school through college. Um, he went to school up in uh, Fort Collins at Colorado State. And, uh, at the time when, uh, when we were still in the same state, he was really just getting into fly fishing, which is, which is a cool part. I remember, uh, him and I went to, I think it was actually a party at his place and we were sitting around the table, you know, drinking, playing, um, playing card games. And we got to talking about fishing and he's like, yeah, you know, I I got a fly rod, like just starting out. I'm going to try to start tying my own flies and you know, he's like, he's like, Hey, there's these, these bass ponds that are just down the way. And I think it was like f- in the fall. And he's like, you know, do you want to go in the morning? And I'm like, well, <laughs> we're probably going to be in pretty bad shape, but, uh, you know, that's kind of where, uh, I think ultimately it, it kind of all started for, I know he fished as a kid, but he started getting really serious at that point. We'll, we'll kind of let him tell a story, but, uh, so his name is Lucas Perez and, uh, He's got a sweet Instagram uh, loaded with with big fish pics. Um, I think his tag is Lucas on Fly. So if you search that on Instagram, you can see all of his uh, his photos. And he 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 certainly catches some megas. I know he fishes streamers a lot. Um, he really just loves all aspects of fly fishing. The dude gets out quite a bit. So. I figured it'd be a really good person to have on, uh, to talk, you know, streamer tactics and selection and size, you know, size, things like that. Just cause he's, I mean, the dude catches fish. So like, you know, so we'll definitely get into that and, uh, and see what he can, um, 
he can provide us. All right, right on. Yeah, we'll just jump right in the interview. All right, what's up, everybody? So we are back, and we now have Lucas uh, on the line. So uh, I told you guys a little bit about Lucas uh, at the end of our intro, but we've got him on now, and we'll let him kind of go over uh, his background um, just briefly and kind of what that entails as far as fly fishing goes and how he was brought up, and then we'll kind of get into some questions and stuff to ask him. So what's up, Lucas? Welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, how you guys doing? Yeah, great to be on. Um, so let's see, I really just got into fly fishing probably like intensely five to six years ago. Um, as a young kid, you know, I always just had a, a passion for fishing. I mean, I was born in Columbia, so fished out there as a little kid, but mainly just like bait fishing, you know, and then moved to Florida when I was in elementary school. And that's when I actually got into bass fishing, just regular like spin and tackle. Um, we had a, a lake right behind my house. I actually would wake up sometimes before elementary school and go fishing and then catch the bus to school. We had a largemouth and peacock bass. Um, so I just caught those on jerk baits, crank baits, spinner baits. So just more your conventional tackle. Um, from that, I was about fifth grade, moved to the Bay Area, California. So there, that's when I actually got my first fly rod and just kind of started mixing it between conventional tackle and fly. Um, I mean, being in middle school, you obviously don't have a lot of travel or, you know, just sense to be to, to be able to get up to the mountains to get into some streams and uh, trout country. So just whenever I could, I'd ride my bike down to the pond or whatever and uh, start casting my fly rod. You know, I just kind of taught, my, taught myself. Um, and didn't, I wasn't totally into it. I mean, I was... I definitely had a love for it. I did it with, you know, with some uncles and my grandparents. Um, they were they're really into it down in Columbia. But really, my passion back then was mountain biking. Uh, so I, I spent most of my time riding bikes, training, and then eventually racing professionally. So <clears throat> not a ton of time spent fishing. But then moved out to Colorado, kept going with the mountain bike thing, did that till about Oh, junior, junior year of college. And then basically fly fishing took over. But, um, at, when, once I got to high school, I, I still bass fished a little bit when I went, went up to Deckers and things like that, but, uh, um, did a little trout or trout fishing on just conventional tackle, but eventually worked up to college and, and I started getting into it a lot at CSU Fort Collins. So I had a, a couple buddies that got into it. And I obviously was just going crazy with bass fishing there and uh, would ride to the ponds or drive to the ponds and bass fish using conventional tackle, spinning gear, jigs, you know, poppers. And then finally, it was just like a transformation one year, just went all fly. And uh, we yeah, had the yeah. Poudre River, Poudre River there in Fort Collins and just tons of ponds. So it was great to just kind of apply all the same techniques from conventional tackle and fly fishing. Um, and then from then it's been about five or six years now and it's pretty much been all fly fishing. Yeah. So that's a, that's a great intro. Thank you for that. So, um, so I obviously know Lucas, we went to the same high school and then, uh, you know, obviously cross paths in college as well. Uh, when you were up at CSU and, uh, 
I, I very, you know, I remember to this day, uh, you know, you guys kind of getting into bass. Um, and I was like, dude, let's, let's do it. Like, <laughs> there's nothing that I love more than cruising to a new piece of water and, and tossing bugs. Um, but, uh, that is an interesting thing that you bring up, you know, the whole, you know, kind of growing up with, you know, conventional tackle and then kind of transferring into fly fishing. And that's actually similar to, to Mike that I had mentioned, uh, on, you know, our, uh, a couple podcasts ago, uh, very much the same thing, you know, started out conventionally and then kind of transferred into, uh, into the, the fly fishing world. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, even to this day, I still watch so so many just like bass fishing tournaments on YouTube or on television and you can, you can just apply so many of those tactics to fly fishing. Those guys are, you know, they're making thousands of dollars on bass fishing. They're studying every piece of water, how the fish react, fish behavior, you know, all these things. And you don't really see fly guys talking about it like that as intense as they are, you know, they're getting paid thousands of dollars to do it. So I think their level of intensity gets a little in more. And so it's just kind of good to learn from those guys. And then you can apply so much more of it. Cause I mean, fish behavior is a huge part of the game. If you know how, where they're going to be, when they're going to be eaten, um, you know, how the weather affects them, everything. It just brings you that much forward, that much more feel like closer to the fish. Right. So. Yeah, absolutely. And who doesn't um, love eating, just eating some, some small mouth, you know? Yeah, <laughs> just rip, just ripping lips. I mean, they really then, are a fun species to catch. You know? Yeah, the smallmouth are definitely more willing, you know. So it's it's nice to go out and catch thirty of those guys and feel like you're the boss. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I I gotta be honest with you. Like I I I almost think bass are a little bit. They can be trickier to kind of have like one of those, one of those just um you know badass days on the water. Just because you know they they do behave a little bit differently than than what uh we we kind of you know have a lot of experience with like trout and you know the salmonid family and uh, um it just they just it just seems like they behave differently. I don't oh, know. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, they're more of an apex predator. I mean, just like a big brown trout, um, they have the ability to really fish whenever. Or I mean, uh feed whenever they want also just like a muskie or a, a northern bike um so they're gonna eat a bigger meal but less often so if you can catch them at that right time you're gonna have a great day um but a trout you know they're eating tiny little insects so they're gonna be feeding all day long and they're also battling currents or whatever if they're in a lake that's why those fish get so big because they just can eat so much more but not exert as much energy you know so it's that's a great, great point to, um <clears throat> yeah because these people see you know these lake run fish, fish yeah. you know those lake run exactly. fish that come up into like for instance let's say the dream stream yep. i mean some of those browns and some of those cutties are pushing you know 30 plus uh which is those are monstrosities but they aren't you know they aren't ha- inhabiting that river you know t- 365 days a year right they're in the yeah. lake yep. and then they only run up uh during the spawn really and that's where you're catching these fish. Um, not that there aren't monster, you know, browns and cutties in actual, you know, freestanding streams, you know, throughout the United States because there are. Uh, but those lake run fish, that's a great point. I never thought about that. You know, the amount of energy that they're exerting in the lake is so minuscule to what they would be exerting, you know, in the current of a, of a river. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, 
that's why I focus so much on the lakes. That's where the big fish live, you know? And yeah, it's great for a place like the dream stream to be available for all these people, but also it just draws in that much more attention too. you know, it's a two mile piece of water, very small. You can sight fish a lot of it. I mean, so yeah, it's, it offers its opportunity to catch a big fish, but then you're also dealing with just a ton of people. So when I go out to the lake, bring the boat out, you're, you know, you're, you might see 10 boats out there over just like a huge piece of water. And then, you know, they're probably different fishing differently or fishing for a different species and not really, you know, so the amount of pressure is just not the same. Also catching a big fish in a lake is a lot harder, but I just think the opportunity to, to come around a trophy is a lot, a lot more. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting perspective, I think. I think a lot of, I mean, at least, at least from my point of view, you know, you'd think um, a, a smaller piece of moving water um, is a little bit harder to to fight a fish because you, you're dealing with currents, you know. But I guess in the in a lake, you know, you're you're dealing with you're dealing with currents, you're dealing with depth, you're dealing with um, actually having to to land the fish, right? Um, yeah. So yeah. getting it to 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 fight in a way that you want it to fight, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, a lake is so big, too. It's just like, it can be intimidating at times, you know, just knowing where to go. But once you kind of understand what, I just, I guess, just the phases throughout the year, like in the springtime, like, let's just say we're talking about Northern Pike. In the springtime, ice off, they're going to be concentrated around bays where it warms up quicker. Um, They're also going to be spawning at that time of year. So you're going to see them grouped up uh, throughout the summertime. As the water starts to warm up, they'll kind of disperse and then start to move a little bit deeper. They definitely gather around weed, you know, weeds and just any sort of structure that they can find where they can ambush. Um, inlets, you know, wherever some cold water's coming in, it's also a place that they they like to hang out. And then, you know, if it comes around fall, the water starts to cool back down. These fish start to move up a little shallower. Um, they're still a little bit more spread out. Um, they're not going to be as concentrated in a bay like they are in the spring so in the springtime you might roll into a bay and you can see 30 pike laid up but they're going to be really hard to catch they got their mind on something else you know so they're unless the 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 time the the water temperature and their their minds on feeding it's going to be really hard to catch them so in the fall time though water temperatures drop they move up a little shallower and they're looking to get the feedback on before the winter comes and the water really uh really drops and then they get really lethargic, you know? Yeah. Yeah, So, so, uh, go ahead, Justin. uh, All right. Yeah. 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 So I mean, one of my, one of my favorite questions to ask is, uh, I'm fascinated by it is everyone's, um, individual process of what, what you're looking for. Um, not necessarily on the water, but in the, the weeks and days leading up to, you know, either, uh, either a smaller trip or a bigger trip on, What's your uh, what's your process for you know, maybe doing some some recon beforehand or you know something that ups your uh, your chances of getting in the fish? Yeah, for sure. So I live here in like the Denver metro area. Uh, in about a two to three hours drive, I have about five to six really good trophy pike waters, um, you know, bodies of water that I can access. So a few days to a week before, I'm looking at wind and temperatures and um, just wind can be hard because a lot of the, the, the lakes up here and in, in the mountains 
are exposed. There's not a lot of trees. So if it's blowing over 15 miles an hour, it's just really hard to control the boat. It can be a pain casting a fly rod. You know, these flies are eight to 12 inches long. They're, you know, they're really wind resistant. So it just wears you out. The fishing might be a little bit better. You know, wind definitely stirs things up, gets the bait fish moving around and gets the, the fish a little bit more active. But I also don't really like battling, you know, winds over 15 miles an hour. So I'll look at that. I'll look at the weather. If there's a big, you know, storm cloud over over a lake, I try to avoid that. But um, so once I get the weather down, you know, it just comes down to where I think the fish are going to be that time of year. And then once I get to that body of water, you know, I'll start, I'll try to hit the main key areas in the morning when the fishing can be good. And as the day goes on, you know, as if one area doesn't really work out, I'll try the inlet or you'll try a steeper drop off or, you know, just kind of try to switch up the, the uh, different structures of the lake, you know, my find they're just kind of finding where, where they're hanging around, what kind of water they're sitting in. And then I have a fish finder with a, with the, uh, geographical map on it and then just try to stick to areas that are like where the fish are yeah nice if, all right if if it's a trip that i'm uh that's a month away like right now i'm going up to wyoming to fish out with the with a few buddies um you know we already planned this it's going to be like a four or five day trip i'm just crossing my fingers we know the fish are going to be biting this time of year definitely when they're they're putting their feedback on before the winter time but we're just crossing our fingers you know hoping it's not just gonna snow for five days straight <laughs> yeah hopefully <laughs> not right yeah that's what you have the uh, the wild turkey for <laughs> yeah i i go i do some duck hunting every now and then but uh we usually just walk and try to spook them up and it's not it's uh, definitely not my greatest passion but i do like hunting a little bit too yeah, we, um, you know, me and Bryce have kind of talked about this where, you know, we've, I mean, obviously Bryce is a very good hunter and you know, he's kind of uh, a little bit more refined in his techniques than I am. Um, but we were discussing, you know, the, um, just kind of the similarities between fishing and hunting and, you know, how we've, uh, we've gotten into it because of a passion for, you know, I guess refining our, our craft as uh, human beings, I guess, you know. Yeah, it's definitely. A... And I mean, there's so much that cross relate between the two. If you're talking fishing for, for pike or muskie, it's like you're hunting that fish or a big brown trout. You know, you're hunting that fish, you're doing recon, you're studying bodies of water. What are you going to use? Are you going to throw streamers? Are you going to nymph? Whatever. And same with deer hunting or elk hunting. You know, you're, you're, you're finding where those animals are and ending up stalking them. Yeah, I feel like a caveman, you know. <laughs> just it's just super Neanderthal and Neolithic. It's amazing. Yeah. And what I love about all this is it like it consumes you. Like, oh yeah. I, I tried explaining that. this to people, you know, like non fly fishers or non hunters. And I've been successful to an extent and I, I have gotten about, you know, three or four of my friends into fly fishing, you know, at a very a very basic level. You know, I've got a couple rods, you know, I'll take mm -hmm. them out and get them interested and before you know it, they've got a bow, a compound bow. Before you know it, they've got a, you know, a fly box and a pack. And they're like, dude, I'm, I'm in. Like, I hate you because <laughs> I have so much of this gear and it's so expensive. But, like, the joy, uh, and that's what I love, you know, like taking somebody out and just seeing that passion develop 
and I'm not sorry for it at all. I just chose two passions. I think actually, Lucas, we, we were messaging about this. Um, maybe, I, I don't know how long ago it was, but I think I asked you something about bow hunting or you asked me and you're like, yeah, I was thinking about taking it up, but I, I got enough troubles as it is <laughs> with fly yeah. fishing to, to pick up a whole nother hobby, you know? And, oh and I, yeah. And bow hunting is a whole <laughs> different animal. You know, oh, I listen dude. to so many podcasts with Joe Rogan and Cameron oh. Haynes, these guys, they just talk about it and it's another life consumption, you know, it's dude between the two, I have zero free time. Like I'm either listening to a podcast or I'm in the woods checking cameras or I'm doing this and that. I mean, I'm pretty deep in it. If, if, if you like, you know, if there was a scale of zero to deep in it, I'm deep in it. And (laughs) I just love it, dude. I love the chase. And it's, it's, you had such a good comparison with, with pike and muskie. I have not had the fortune to chase uh, either of those species yet. I intend to. Um, I know, know. dude. I know. Trust me. I was like, I got you on speed dial ready to plan a trip, but, uh, it's, there's so many similarities, you know, whether trying to pattern a fish, you know, different times a year, they're going to be doing different things. And it's just amazing. The similarities between the two and the challenge, right? Like when you go out and you think you have it pinned down and you don't catch a single fish, you know, you're kind of like, you're disappointed, but you're also like, damn, like they got oh, me today. It just drives you so much more <laughs> for the next time. You know? Absolutely. You're like, I need to figure it, just, this out. it just builds the excitement and you start doing more research and you start, you know, uh, altering your setup or your tactics. Like what, what did I do wrong today? Or were the fish just not biting? I mean, it could be a zillion things. Justin and I have talked about this on the podcast in the past, but oh, yeah. I think it's all yeah, something man. we share. Absolutely. It's, it definitely consumes us, you know, fly fishing alone, just, I'm trying to get out at least once a week. It's hard to, I know it's, yeah. and getting the boat out, you know, I got, it's, it's at least a two hour drive to any good lake up in the mountains, you know? So it's definitely at least a day trip that you want to take. Um, but yeah, if you ever want to come out to Colorado, man, come out in October. Most of our lakes up here in the Rockies close the boat ramps October 31st. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the bummer, even though ice comes around December November would really be the date there the time to do it, but if they weren't late late October yeah. is the time to to really get out there and have good chances at catching a big fish. So I know you've got I know you've got like an actual boat, you know, like that you have on a trailer and, and that you launch and stuff. Um now if the ramps are closed on the thirty first and there is not, you know, a substantial amount of ice or no ice yet, which you know you'd be crossing your fingers for going into November. Could you launch, like, for instance, I have a Flycraft. Could we, we could just launch that anywhere and just go. Yeah. So that's yep, your advantage yep. there, right, is that you can kind of. Definitely. Okay. So that's Definitely an that's advantage. I have a belly boat. I okay. usually don't take it out too much. But, um, yeah, that's the, the nice thing about having a small a small Flycraft or a little small John boat, you know, some smaller John boats you can you can for hand sure. launch between a couple of people. A lot of, a lot of my friends have drift boats. Mm-hmm. And those things you pretty much just push off the trailer right on the edge of the of the lake. So yeah, it's a great that point. is that is a a way to go in November. You know, it would be nice to have one of each, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty fortunate to have this thing. It's it's nice, sixteen and a half foot deep V hole, um, seventy five horsepower motor on it. It gets me around the lakes up here pretty, Dude, pretty you're good. Just I mean, zipping the, around. <laughs> yeah, it's not. <laughs> The lakes up here aren't huge, you know. It's not yeah. like the lakes down there in Georgia and Pennsylvania, like Racetown Lake. I mean, that thing probably takes an hour and a half to get across. With your oh, pig. yeah, you're zipping. Yeah. Zipping on that thing. 
you can get across any lake here in Colorado in, in 15 minutes. So it's plenty for sure, but it would be nice to have, like I used to own a small 15 foot John boat and that thing was almost hand, hand launchable, maybe between two or three guys you could do it. But the thing is, if you brought three guys, you couldn't really fish three guys on it comfortably. So somebody would have to fish from shore. <laughs> so you never want to invite two guys and then just be like, yeah, but you got to fish from shore. I'm sorry. <laughs> Y'all are buying me beers for weeks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. Draw sticks. Let's go. Yeah. Um, November though I have fished from shore and it, it has you know produced some good fish yeah so uh, just uh real quick so before we brought you on we did an intro um last night and I kind of just gave a quick tip it you know tidbit on you know who you were and how I know you and uh I put your Instagram tag on there and I was like like even Justin you know I was like dude you because he I was like who, who do you want to have on the podcast and I was like well I have a I have a friend that we can have on for sure. Like, you know, catches just so many fish and, you know, you've come such a long way as a fly fisherman. I like, love to soak up some knowledge. And so I told him to check out your Instagram and Justin, you can kind of talk that piece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I felt, uh, I was so, I was so excited. Cause you were at this. work. You were, you were slaving away in corporate America. I, I was, I was <laughs> just slaving away, hating my life. And, uh, yeah, I had, I had just gone up to the, uh, uh, the salmon river up in New York about two weeks ago. And, um, I was feeling all good about, you know, the fish I was catching and, um, you know, granted they're fucking, they're dying anyway at their end of their cycle, you know? So it's like, it's more just like, you're just hooking into them, but assuming um, you're I, catching salmon, you're still catching salmon, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. I'm assuming that's why you were catching king salmon. Yeah. Yeah. I was catching yeah. salmon. I wish I would have gotten a steelhead, but my buddy did, which is nice, really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, but That's uh, so funny. My buddy just moved up there from here, from Colorado. He lives in uh, Saratoga Springs, New York. So he's been out to the salmon the last two weeks, and he caught some giant king salmon. It's, he was it's actually true. there this morning, but he's on. He's looking for some some browns and some steelhead. They should start to come in now. That's what I was hearing. That it's it's more in in this um, excuse me in November and December when the the browns and steelhead start moving up after the uh, the the king and coho is kind of. Um, die down a little bit um, but yeah. it should be really good up there uh, hopefully I can get up again soon but um, you know I was I was just you know sitting in my office I was hating life and you know Bryce sent me your uh, your Instagram tag and um, I started scrolling through and I was like no fucking way I'm like oh my god these fucking fish are just amazing and uh, <laughs> he was like he's like yeah we got to have him on he's got he's got to come on I'm like yeah dude he's got to come on and then uh, you know I'm sitting there scrolling and I'm just like daydreaming and I'm like man my salmon sucks. <laughs> like this thing's just like falling apart. And then you got these beautiful pike and, and bass and browns. And I mean, just like gorgeous, gorgeous brown hogs on there. And I was just like daydreaming about catching browns. And uh, yeah, I had a little half a chub for, uh, you know, pretty much the day. Just, you know, looking at your Instagram. No homo. The, so. the, the trips are far and few between from what I want them to be. You know, I was on the road. Um, the last four years of you know whatever for work and so i would come home and i'd have a week or two off my my position was just traveling being a a, a demo tech rep for a mountain bike company and then a tech rep for another mountain bike company and so i'd come home and have a week or two off so i could just go up to the mountains from like 
Monday through Thursday while my girlfriend works, you know, and then come home on the weekend and hang out with her. So I was catching a lot of fish then. Now it's working the the nine to five Monday through Friday. So if I can get one day a week now, it's good. Um, but yeah, I've been pretty fortunate to catch some good fish in the past. I mean, I've taken a couple of trips down to Columbia now for peacock bass. That's I'd go with an uncle. He's been going for like 15 years now. He's like, gotta come down. Trust me, you'll love it. So now, when you, ago, I, don't, I don't mean to cut you off, but uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, when you when you say Columbia, are you talking about the the country or yeah, the country? Oh, yeah, no shit. That's awesome. Yeah, we don't have big peacock like bass like that. Those things are. States. We got the little ones, I mean, five or six tour. pounds of big big fish, you know, in Miami. Um, a trophy peacock down in South America is. 20 to 25 pounds yeah, those pictures so, are unreal i was yeah. like oh my god and a lot of it's is a lot of it top water yeah a lot oh. of it be top water it just kind of depends yeah chucking a popper all day long gets really tiring so i definitely mix it up between a streamer like an intermediate line mm-hmm. and a floating line with a popper it's definitely i mean you have just as good a chance of catching a 20 pounder on a popper than you do on a streamer so there's definitely no drawback to doing it. It's just kind of like right. casting a 10 weight with a popper does get so tiring. This is... So it's nice to pick up the nine weight with with a streamer and throw that. It feels light. <laughs> exactly. So that was actually, um, this is a good segue into uh, into your setups. So um, you just mentioned there, you know, that you're using a nine weight. And that's what I'm running down here for redfish. Uh, just curious, you know, whether you're chasing, let's say, uh, We'll kind of throw two scenarios out. One, you know, you're getting on your boat and you're going out to chase pike. You know, chances of catching, you know, 30, 40 plus inch fish. Uh, and then we'll throw another scenario, you know, maybe a, a, a medium style, you know, river uh, that you're going to be kind of walk wading and just uh, tossing streamers for browns, you know, or rainbows or what have you. What do, what do those two setups kind of look like and kind of like why why do you kind of set it up that way? Like what works and what doesn't? Yeah, absolutely. If I'm on my boat and I'm going for northern, I usually have three rods rods rigged up. I have my seven weight, my eight weight, and my nine weight. My nine weight will have a pretty fast sinking line. Um, It's a fast sink with an intermediate body. So I can get down to 15 feet pretty quick with that rod. And then I run an intermediate line on my eight weight. So that's getting down to like 1.5 to 2 inches a second. So if I'm, if I'm fishing anywhere from 10 feet, like three feet to 10 feet, then I'll use that. And then if I'm really shallow, like in the weeds, then I'll throw my seven weight with a floating line and a smaller streamer or a popper. I usually don't fish too many poppers around here for pike, but the nice thing about being on the boat is that you're, you know, you're kind of elevated and you're, and you're, when you're, when you're stripping your line back in, that line's just going straight into the boat. And so it's nice to throw an intermediate or a sinking line. Um, like if you're on shore, it's hard to mend a, a sinking line or, a, or an intermediate line if that wa- if all that line is just going into the water, you know what I mean? Yeah, and then it's um, coiling, right? Like at your feet. Yeah. I mean, I, I happens to me all the time, you know? I'm like, fuck, like, yeah. you know, you're, <laughs> you're like spend more time <laughs> uncoiling stuff from your feet versus just using a floating and using a super heavy streamer, you know, or something exactly. like that. Exactly, or... Yeah, exactly. Like when I'm on the river, I like to use a, either a sink tip or a floating line. Okay. Um, also, with being on the boat, the uh, intermediate lines and the sinking lines, you can once you get that fly to a certain level where you want it, 
then you can rip it in as fast as or as slow as you want, and then it'll stay around that depth. Yeah. So if you really want that streamer to hold around five to seven feet, it's good to just throw that fast sinking line and then just either rip it back in, it's going to hold around there, or you can slow strip it back in, and it's it's going to stay around that target area. You know, if, if, if you think that's where the fish are, it's good to have it in front of their face as long as possible. Yeah. If I'm on the river and I'm fishing from the bank or, you know, just barely waiting when I strip that line and I want it to float so that when I go cast again, it's just coming off the top of the water and it's casting out a lot easier. If you're stripping in a, an intermediate or a sinking line and you're waiting, all that line is just sinking to the bottom of the river and you're going to cast that again. It's going to be a hell. You know, it's going to be a nightmare trying to get that line back out. So that's kind of the advantages to being on a boat. You can run whatever line setup you want. And then, of course, you're running a seven, eight, nine weight, not just because the fish are big and they're so strong, but because you want to get that look, that big fly out. You know, those flies are six to 10 inches, 12 inches long. It's a lot of resistance, you know, casting a, a big fly like that with a six weight is going to wear you out. So just something that you can you can cast, do two or three false casts and get it out, you know, 60 feet. It's just kind of save a lot of energy over the day. So, so it's, it's more about the uh, the backbone of mm-hmm. the uh, the rod getting the getting the fly out there more than it's uh, being able to um, match the fish essentially. Exactly, yeah. Although if you're talking about peacock bass now, it's definitely nice having a big strong backbone for that fish. You're fishing these fish around a lot of structure, and you might not be able to hold it off in in the first run, but it's definitely going to help tire that fish out a lot quicker. And, you know, it's never good to play a fish too long. You don't want to exert it too long, you know, so when you release it, it's healthy and it can swim away just fine. But, uh, yeah, yeah, in Colombia, I use an 8, a 9, and a 10 weight. So you're not chucking as big a flies like I do for pike for peacock bass, but you definitely want to you have that backbone to hold those fish at a lot of structure. Um, yeah, could I answer all your questions? <laughs> Yeah, no, that's like, yeah. so it, like, I know you, you have like a seven and an eight. So like if you were to go, right. So like the seven is ideal to take on the river, you know, if you're stripping streamers, cause it's got, it's got that, uh, that floating line on it. Um, and obviously provides you, um, you know, the, the lift and stuff. So you're not dragging that, that sinking <coughs> line through the water. But if it was up to you and you know, you were sponsored and just getting a bunch of rods, would you just rig up, like if you're going for northerns, would you just rig up three nine weights with an intermediate fast and a floating just for sake of ease of casting and, and, and having a little backbone? You know what I mean? Yeah. I like think if you're wearing I, a weekend I think warrior. I like my eight, <laughs> I think I like my eight weight the okay. most yeah. for pike. Um, if I were fishing them in heavy cover where I was actually needing to use the nine weight to pull them out of yeah. either weeds or structure, then that might be nice, but... For the size of flies that I'm casting here in Colorado, I think the eight-way throws them just fine. And then, you know, if you do hook, like, a mid-30s fish, then it's it just feels a little bit better on the eight-way. Oh, for sure. Uh, and I'm not, like, having those three lines strictly to those rods. Every now and then I'll, I'll switch around and throw the sinking line on on my seven-weight. So that that seven-weight can throw those big streamers just fine as long as there's no wind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I use my seven weight for, for trout and bass too. Um, depends on how big a streamers I'm throwing and what other rods I got rigged up. Like I like having my, if I'm fishing a bigger river, like the green or the, uh, the North Platte, 
I like bringing the seven weight if I'm casting from shore and it's windy and I'm throwing big streamers. Um, and then I like to have my six weight rigged up with an infrig or a, you know, or a big heavy dry fly. Um, and then typically I like having the five weight with a, with a, a lighter nymphrig or a smaller dry fly. So it's just good to have them all rigged up and just be ready for any, any kind of circumstance. Now, are you, uh, are you overweight or, uh, I guess overlining your rods at all when you, uh, run out and say you're throwing a sink tip on a, on a seven weight or, a you know, you want to throw a floating line on your nine weight. Um, do you ever do that? Um, yeah, um, I like to throw my my seven weight with an eight weight floating line for some reason. Maybe just because I never really bought a seven weight floating line to to throw on there. But um, yeah, it's just once you get all the, once you have a, a solid artillery of rods, and you know it's hard to buy um, three specific lines for each rod. You know, each each line goes for a hundred bucks. You can add up thousand dollars worth of line pretty quick if you were oh, to help yeah, each sure. rod with each fly line you know for sure well, same um, with reels you know i have a reel for each rod but if i'm not using my nine weight that day and i go out just with my eight weight i sometimes bring my extra reel for my nine weight so then i just have two line setups and i can throw it and i can switch it out really quick instead of having to reline the whole spool okay so it's it's really just the you know individual comfortability i guess then whatever you're yeah. comfortable with. And, you know, you, obviously you have a, uh, you have a system that works for you very well. Um, lets you be uh, dynamic on the water. Um, and I think, you know, at least from what I'm, what I'm hearing in my personal experience as well is, you know, that's kind of more important than it being perfect, you know, just that technical perfection, you know, it's more what, what you're comfortable with. And if you're, you're used to it and it works, it works, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just like, spending $900 on a fly rod it's not really needed you know you can once you get used to casting a $125 fly rod it's it'll do just as good as a $900 fly rod so oh man but see the more the more money i put into it the better fish i catch that's how i that's how <laughs> well, i just try i got to make this rod worth it <laughs> yeah i know so. i've i've fallen into that trap real hard lately where i just like throw money at it and i'm like man like it's it's the rod, not me. Yeah. Know? It's definitely you. I think I it's think definitely the me. fly line I think the fly line comes is more important than a nice fly rod. That's for sure. I think the fly line is getting that fly to where it needs to be. And you know, it's just it's basically the opposite of conventional tackle. And conventional tackle you're using that lure to get the distance, to get to the to where the, the depth is, you know. In fly line or in fly fishing, you're using the line to get that fly to where it needs to be. So that's the most important part, I think. I mean, a streamer, it yeah, some people it's just fishing what you're confident in. You know, I have five five color streamers ready at all time, but if I'm just confident in that white and chartreuse one, I'm gonna throw that one all day and not even touch the other ones. So that's so, actually yeah, that's a good point. So on color right because you know a lot of people say you know if it's if it's dark out throw a dark streamer if it's light out throw a light streamer kind of type stuff um also depending on depth of course uh you know at different depths your fly is going to look different um have you in your experience kind of like leaned 
towards a particular color. Like I'm guessing for Northerns, you kind of have your go-to color scheme and and fly type. Um, but just in general, have you noticed like a benefit one way or the other of of trying to match that kind of theory, I guess, or have you just kind of gone with what's worked? Yeah, I kind of mix it up a little bit, but it's also what you're confident in. I mean, I've heard so many stories of people catching big browns on big white streamers, which kind of violates that theory, right? You, you exactly. think yeah. fishing at night, you want to throw some black or brown, something with that's going to give that silhouette or whatever everyone yeah. talks about. But I just think it comes down to really throwing what you're confident in. Definitely matching the hatch. Um, but once for a big predatory fish, once that when that when that fish is feeding, I think it just comes down to to play net fly in front of its face. Yeah, play smart. Um, okay. And but yeah, it's definitely I I I definitely tend to think tend to stick to throwing lighter and flashier colors when it's sunny out, and then like I like to th- throw black and purple off for pike when it gets a little cloudier, gets a little windier. So. But again, it's just because I'm confident in it. I know if you're, yeah, I mean, if you're if you're gonna be throwing a fly and blowing out your shoulder for six hours, you want to be as confident <laughs> as possible. Absolutely. <laughs> you were gonna say something earlier, Justin. What what'd you have? No, I mean it's it's just it's interesting um, that it just keeps coming up that uh, it's really all about confidence. Um, and I just think it's a uh, uh, just validating what you know. I was thinking mostly because you know I I do, I do tend to uh, you know throw flies that I'm very confident in, um, regardless of what is going on, and um, you know getting the fi- uh, getting what you're throwing in front of the fish's face is you know seems like it's ninety percent of the battle. Um, I just think it's interesting that you can apply that to you know peacock bass to crappie to trout to salmon, you know, redfish. I mean, really it just comes down to the fisherman's confidence in it and um, getting the fly out there and feeling comfortable with it out there and not, uh, you know, not not breaking your back or, uh, you know, eating shit or taking a fly to the dome in the, uh, the meantime, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I think, and that kind of just stands for color. I think size has more of a, a difference maker. Yeah, I mean, like... Same with steelhead and salmon fishing. You're throwing one spay fly, you know, that you're just confident in. They say colors, not really that important. They do use a lot of pinks and blues and blacks, but I think when it comes, I think if you're really trying to decide a streamer, you got to think more about size. Definitely matching the hatch in in that sense. Um, Like there's so many times where a fish won't eat a a 10-inch fly, but then I throw a small, you know, sex dungeon something's forward five inches and then they'll eat that so um same with trout you know big big streamers don't work as good than if you just threw a black woolly bugger you know that's probably the one fly anybody would have in their tackle box if they're just have one fly yeah and it's just game on you know because the uh i i mean my my personal theory and i i know a ton of ton of dudes you know have written about this and talked about it but um i honestly believe that you know color isn't as important because you get um you get different types of wavelengths and and play on different colors in the water um which is why i think you know popular flies like you know the sex dungeon or uh, you know just some other 
some other streamers like Wooly Buggers with a little, uh, you know, hot with hot spots and, and flash. And, you know, when you get into nymphs and dry flies with different flash and color schemes, um, why they're so effective when they look nothing like what's in the water. I think it's because you you're getting some play with the sun and, you know, with the uh, the wavelengths of um, of light that's reflecting in the water that, you know, I think I think fish are seeing something that looks natural, even though it you know, might not look very natural to us. Yeah, um, you're just trying to strike that reaction. Right? Yeah, exactly. You know, so I, again, I think it all comes down to, you know, does it does it kind of look like what they're eating? You know, yep. like, is it interesting enough to, you know, not put them off? Kind of like eating like a like a, a normal, I don't know, can steak versus like a Kobayashi, whatever, whatever the hell it is, steak. Um, where it's like there's marbling and it's different colors and you know, yeah, it lo- kind of looks like what I'm used to eating, so I'm gonna eat it. You know? Yeah, exactly. And it depends on the, what kind of mood that fish is. I can't remember who I heard of this from, but um, it's like let's just say you just had a big lunch or late lunch and you came home and then your girlfriend offered you a slice of pizza. You know, might that might not sound too appetizing, but if she offers you a cookie, then you're like, okay, yeah, I'll have that. So <laughs> yeah, right just, on. Um, just kind of trying to just match what that what that fish is i guess yeah what that fish wants i think you see it you see it a lot you know um i mean like for instance if i go on instagram right now and i and i'm looking at whitetail box right it's like booner 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 it's like how are fucking guys killing these giant deer you know like every fucking deer i see is a 200 inch deer like why can't i kill a 200 inch deer um (laughs) So when I compare that to the fly fishing world, you know, you look at a lot of these huge trout or huge pike or, you know, name your species, you know, a lot of them got a giant fly hanging out of their mouth. And so I think that there's a lot of truth to that, you know, that, like you said, big flies kind of catch big fish in certain, certain situations. Mm -hmm. But, you know, more often than not, would you lean towards the fact that, you know, providing a, you know, predatorial fish you know that has a has a core area you know uh, a bigger meal uh you know if he's if he's hungry and aggressive like he's gonna smash that just because it's it's maybe like a little bit bigger of a threat yeah definitely and like i was saying earlier i mean in the fall time i definitely tend to throw bigger streamers for pike um they're looking to put the feed bag on you know before the winter time so in the springtime they got spawning on their mind so i think going with the smaller profile works a little bit better sure um that probably applies to trout as well yeah yeah so with trout i mean if they're in spawning mode i think they're looking to defend their their nests or whatever i mean i don't really advise fishing for 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 spawning trout while they're on their reds but if they're in that time of year you know they're they're just going to be a little bit more aggressive right um So, yeah, I mean, definitely you see these big flies in, in, in the fish's mouth and on all these Instagram pictures, but what you don't see is the time that it took to get that fish on that big streamer. Oh, absolutely. There is, you know, I do like throwing a big streamer and catching a fish on it. It's just something about seeing a 10-inch streamer come to the boat repeatedly and knowing that that thing's going to get crushed sooner or later, and it could be from a bigger fish. You know, you're definitely going to avoid out those smaller fish. I'd much rather catch one fish, two fish a day than catching three average fish. Or, I mean, 
30 average fish, you know? So I think, yeah, just bigger flies definitely are going to catch bigger fish, but you might not catch the quantity that you're looking for. Yeah. Quantity over quality or vice versa. Right. Cause yeah, definitely. I'm more of a quality over quantity. That's for sure. Yeah. I think you're if, I, if I'm going to drive, well. <laughs> if I'm going to drive up to the mountains and spend three hours, I much rather catch a fish that I'm going to be stoked on. I mean, I'm not going to go up there to catch 30 little things and not have one remember. But I mean, it also depends on what you're looking for out of that day. If, if I'm just going up on a small Creek or going up to a high Alpine, uh, Alpine Lake, yeah, it's I'm just a numbers for the game. experience, you know, I'm looking yeah. for a good, you know, being outdoors, just kind of getting away and, and just catching a bunch of beautiful fish. It's not a trophy hunt. I guess it kind of depends on what you're, what you're getting after that day. So I think just, it's a, uh, yeah, ahead, it's, it's like a nat, like a natural evolution, um, of, uh, I think of, of human beings really, um, and that, that correlates with fly fishing and with hunting, um, where, you kind of evolve from, you know, I'm picking up the sport and I just want to catch a fish, you know, and you're happy catching, you know, one or two little dinks and, you know, you're, you're learning and, you know, you're gaining experience. And then, you know, I, I'm still firmly in that, um, that, you know, uh, quantity over quality stage where I think I'm a little bit too, um, I guess, I don't, I don't know how to explain it, um, insecure. <laughs> with my with my fishing um where you know I'm, I'm i'm not very good at throwing streamers and i don't i don't have a ton of confidence in it um but then you i think you progress to that where you know you can catch a bunch of fish and now you're after that quality fish you know that like at any point you know that you can you can dial it in and and, and catch fish but you're you're after that big fish exactly. you know, because you have that confidence and i i think it's um you know, I, I think that's definitely a, a stage to to aim for where you're happy um, catching a, a huge fish because you know um, through experience and through your your abilities that you you can do it. You know that you have everything you need uh, to make it happen. It's just a matter of matching, you know, the, the fish's personality with what you have on the on the line and what you have in front of you in the water. Um, so really, really interesting to think about. You know, think about what a uh, tell the listeners out there what stage of fly fishing you're at, um, what stage of life you're at, and um, you know what you're looking for and what you're uh, what you're going for. Yeah, I think so. It's definitely like anything in life, you know. If you're just like mountain biking, if you want to hit a big jump, you're not going to hit that thing first. You got to work up to it, you know. So even just yeah, catching a lot of fish, knowing how to fight them each, you know, with each fish that you catch, or every time you go up in size that fish is going to react different. So if you just get in over your head and you get lucky and hook a 30 inch Brown on your third day fly fishing, you're not going to know what to do with it. He's going to break <laughs> you off pretty quick. So definitely getting that confidence. Reacting that day. And then once you, you spot some big fish or, you know, there's some big fish in there, then you got to, you know, think about like, what do I need to do? Like, how do I need to approach this water? Am I coming at the same, at the right time of day, the right time of year? Am I using the right flies? Am I using the right leader? The, you know, the right amount of split shot. So it's just like anything, you know? I laugh at that yeah. because Justin and I literally spent what we, we've covered this a couple of times. Uh, 
you know, what's your what's your go-to set of criteria, right? Like when you're on the river or when you're on the lake and things aren't quite going as you planned, you know, what's the first thing you do? Do you add split shot? Do you go up in size? Do you drop size, you know, of your fly? Do you change color? And it's fun because everybody kind of has their own, you know, their own feelings based on, you know, situations they've already dealt with. Like, well, I'm confident in knowing that I need to change my depth, you know, because if I can just get it to the right depth and get it in front of them, it doesn't matter what fly I have, they're going to eat it. And some people are like, well, I probably had the right depth, but, you know, maybe I don't have the right color or the right size, um, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, you know, goes on. But I think the biggest thing is like expectation management when you go out, because I think a lot of young fly fishermen, especially me, when I was gr- when I was growing up, you know, I would I would go with my dad and, you know, maybe I'd catch one fish and I'd just be like so stoked, you know, like, wow, like I really did it. I finally caught a fish like it would it would make my day. And now I go out and I catch one fish and I'm like, what the fuck did I do wrong? You know what I mean? Like, like <laughs> you know, I start going through those criteria and I start thinking, and I'm like, what was I doing wrong? But there comes a point, you know, when people are scared to kind of take that next step. You know, like, let's say you fish nymphs a lot or you fish dry flies a lot and, you know, you're having 20 or 30 fish days. Well, those, those, those techniques necessarily aren't going to yield, right, those trophy fish. Um, Mm -hmm. and so you kind of have to take that leap of faith and say, look, I'm going to, I'm going to only take my streamer box and my streamer rod and I'm going to force myself, you know, if I, if I leave today and I, you know, I'm going to catch a fish, it's going to be on a streamer. And from then on, you kind of, you just start instilling confidence in yourself, you know, reading water, using different tactics. And before you know it, you know, you might go to the river, but you have to be willing to accept the fact you may not catch a fish at all. You know, because if you're throwing an eight inch streamer in a river, you know, there aren't a lot of fish that are going to attack that. But if you do connect on one, there's a good chance it's going to be a good quality fish like you were you were talking about. And that's that's ultimately the evolution, I think, of, you know, kind of like being a a beginner, an amateur to kind of like more, you know, an expert, really. Yeah. In your craft. Like you were saying earlier, you just got to set those expectations. I mean, if you go out throwing streamers, if you catch one or two fish. In an hour or two, that's good, you know, and it could be shitty though some days, you know, some days you have great streamer days. I mean, I've had 30, 40 fish days on streamers in, in just a half day. So it depends, you know, and also like body of water, you know, time of day, definitely in the summertime, I think concentrating around mornings and afternoons with streamers, um, definitely the way to go. And then springtime and fall time, you can usually fish streamers all day long same with the winter time just the water temperatures are a little colder and not the amount the amount of like insects aren't in in the water so a big meal like that comes around they're going to take advantage of it a little bit more Hmm. so that's a good point i never thought about that at least in the winter time i mean the bugs are still there in the fall and spring for sure um but in the winter time it's really just midges flowing yeah, flowing down tiny little there, midges know? so you know big ass brown is i mean how many midges does he have to eat to be full you know if he's eating yeah. if he's willing to eat a eight inch mouse you know yep exactly so, so. yeah it's a great point you bring up mm-hmm. uh so, yeah. justin you got you got anything else you want to ask no I'm, i mean i'm just daydreaming about throwing streamers now that's all yeah <laughs> honestly um you know it's 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 kind of an ongoing joke um, on the podcast and on the website that, you know, I, I'm like, you know, definitely, uh, scared of throwing streamers, um, terrified of them. Um, you know, but it, it just, it just seems like such a natural evolution for me, um, to pick up and, 
Um, I'm actually kind of excited about, you know, getting out this, this winter and, you know, just kind of like we were saying with midges, you know, I kind of, um, over the last three or four seasons in the winter, just, uh, you know, th- that's my thought process is, you know, you got your October caddis and then you start throwing midges, you know, basically until the end of February into March. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually kind of excited to, to, to start tying some more streamers and to actually get out and, uh, you know, fish some streamers. Uh, um, yeah. you know, so I, I appreciate you kind of stoking that for me a little bit more, you know, yeah, Bryce can only give me so much shit before I just got his <laughs> ass down. So <laughs> well, definitely start small. I mean, woolly buggers are the most productive streamer out there probably. So starting small with like, just like a two inch woolly bugger. Um, sometimes I like to throw a tandem rig, you know, just one followed by the other, maybe a black and a brown one, you know, switch up the color, see which one gets hit more often and then maybe just throw that or throw two of those just a good way to start and they're easier to cast you know throwing a a big sex dungeon isn't necessarily the easiest thing if you don't fish streamers a lot um but yeah definitely stoked that that it's uh getting you to get out there and and throw some streamers so yeah exactly going out tomorrow taking the boat out to one of the, the lakes up here in the mountains going for for northern pike and and lake trout so i'm actually going with danny capis i remember yeah i do remember yeah. danny that's yeah. awesome i didn't know he fly fish yeah he does cool he's a good fish buddy, so we'll let you know how it goes yeah dude i'm i'm sure i'll uh i'll see i'll see what what comes down if you uh yeah. if you post uh post oh, a mega yeah. on uh, there i'm sure hopefully hopefully, hopefully it's something posting yeah so yeah well shoot man um yeah we're right about right about the hour mark usually uh usually where we try to keep it but um i appreciate you taking the time to come on and and talk fishing with us and justin yeah definitely if any of you guys ever come out to colorado let me know you guys have a you you obviously follow the instagram but send me a direct message get your phone numbers and if I'm ever down there, I know Louisiana is always a target with some redfish, so I'll have oh. to hit you up, guys. <laughs> and then, yeah, Justin, if I'm out there in Pennsylvania, I'll definitely connect too. Oh, uh, you know it, man. You're always welcome, and you know I I really appreciate you coming on here and uh, you know, talking to us about uh, you know, your experiences and you know, sharing some of your knowledge with us. So it was a pleasure, uh, pleasure getting to talk to you, Lucas. Yeah, definitely. Still young, still learning. It's a good learning curve, and that's the great thing about fly fishing is you never stop. If you think you know it all, just switch species or move somewhere else, and there's always more to learn. Oh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's such a headache. The best thing about it. <laughs> it, it is, it's like it's like the lesser, you know, it's like it, it's a double-edged sword. You're like, wow, I love living in this new location, but now you have no, you have no hidey holes. You have no, you know, like you don't know the fish species. You, it's just all new, and that's, again, plays back to the challenge, right? Because ultimately – we're, we're striving for success and however we got to get there, you know, um, just makes it more difficult, but cool. Well, uh, yeah, I appreciate, appreciate you coming on once again and, uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. Awesome. See you later, Bryce. See ya. Bye, Justin. All right. See you later. All right, everybody. That, uh, that concludes this week's episode, episode 11, uh, on the podcast. Just want to say thanks to, uh, to Lucas once again for, for all that great information, I hope you guys find that useful uh, when you head out this weekend. Hopefully, you're chucking some some big meaty streamers. And uh, thanks for thanks for listening on Bourbon and Browns as always. 
and uh, tight lines. 